Welcome back to Stories Out of Time and Space. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly. And as always, I'm joined by my intergalactic robotic friend, Julian Darius. Julian, how are you doing? You okay? Yeah, I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. I'm good, yeah. Um, I'm really glad we got to do this pick uh, we're doing today. Um, We haven't done, we do animation every now and then. It's sort of a, try and sort of include one each season. And today's Mm -hmm. episode, we are doing the Iron Giant from 1999, which is based on um, the, I forget the name of the book now, the giant, the, well, it's basically the Iron Giant is the book. The Iron the, Man. The Iron Ted Man. Hughes. Yeah, which has the same names. Hogarth is the name of the boy in it, mm-hmm. but the book the book is more fantastical. Uh, it includes a dragon that sort of takes up the whole of Australia uh, and a battle for the sort of humanity of, of, of the human race. Um, this is slightly smaller. This is a 50s science fiction kind of film animation. Um, and it has a reputation, this film, as it sort of underplayed or underperformed a little bit at the cinemas at the time, but is now regarded as, is very highly regarded, I think, as a bit of a cult mm-hmm. following and also as one of those sort of the last really good 2D animation films mm-hmm. um, before everything sort of turned to um, computer animation. Uh, but what are your sort of initial thoughts on on the Iron Giant? Well, I think that I always heard of this as a kind of classic. I did not see this in theaters. I don't really remember this coming out. Um, but I have always heard in the context of what an amazing movie, what a classic movie. But I never had that connection at the moment to mm. it, right? Um and I have seen it, um, I've seen all of it in fragments. I don't, mm. I've don't. i never seen it directly from start to finish uh, until uh, watching it for this show. Um, and I have to say that I am sort of uh, not charmed. Oh, okay. Um, you know, I, I find it lesser than the sum of its parts. Uh you know, and I and I'm look. I mean, I'm a big fan of the Bumblebee movie, which people, mm. you know, I mean, like obviously it has some other themes. You're designed for war, but you know, uh, you fall in love with, uh, you know, or somebody has a wonderful experience with you, right? Um, but I don't know. I mean, I, I love the animation style. There's a lot I like about this, but I just mostly am not charmed by it. And I think it has to be charming, or it doesn't work. Oh, okay. Interesting. See, I am charmed by this film. Um, okay. Very much Good. so. We finally found something this season where we can yeah. disagree. Yeah. No, no, I, I, I do have. I mean, this came in 99. I was just I was 17, turning 18 in 99. Um, so I wasn't a kid. I know that I know of people 
10 years more sort of junior that aren't very much taken with this film. And it forms a very sort of a large part of their childhood um, and their sort of animation journey where sort of like, I think those um, to me, those early nineties films, those early early nineties Disney films, and some of the Don Bluth films of the eighties are those sorts of th- those sorts of films for me. But I love this. Film. I do really enjoy this film. I think this film is fantastic. I do find it charming. I I miss this kind of animation. I I honestly miss two D animation in in. I think it's really high quality. But there's just something so sort of simple about this film. Uh, is a sort of a, not even like it's a morality tale, but. It's relatively straightforward. It's a small, sort of quite concise sort of film. And, you know, if you were to make this as a live action now, it would be it would be Michael Bay Transformers, you know, kind of thing. Um, in the sort of the scale that they were trying to do. So I d I don't know, this is something about this I do find incredibly charming. Um and sort of but the, the, the and also this this tapping into these fifties ideas of um the fear of the bomb and uh, something alien or external coming to Earth, and this idea of acceptance—like it, it all kind of works for me. It actually, as as a piece, um, and I think yeah, there's just, especially some of the, there's some interesting things like it's knowingly sort of throwing in there, like when the kids are in the classroom and they're watching a duck mm-hmm. and cover video, mm-hmm. um, and then later on it's sort of acknowledged. Um, when the the ship by launches. the military, right? Like, yeah, it's like the guy said, "Well, just duck and cover." And he's like, "We're dead." Like the general's like, "Oh no, no, we're all mm. gonna die." Like, I like that it's got those sorts of messages sent in, and sort of, I think it's it's yeah, there's some good stuff in there. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that, but I I do think the duck and cover video, like you see the bombs falling, and the the kid who's ducked and covered is left like on, on a little. Yeah, well, yeah. in in a gigantic crater that he is somehow sort of, and it's so obviously like a satire of it. Yeah, that it's so over the top that to then call back to that and have the military guys say, "Oh, yeah, of course we can't, you know, survive." Seems like, yeah, we already know that, or we didn't get the joke. Um, so even that doesn't work for me. Oh, okay. See, I think as a, as a kid, I think it works for kids because it is a sort of it's a silly video that when they watch it, but then but then the generals to be like, no, we we all know, like you know, it's almost like the, I, I think it's that th- the idea to me is not just the video, but this idea of like we're going to play this to kids, we're going to pander to kids, but we all know mm-hmm. the 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 you know the uh, ridiculousness of that concept, and we're going to acknowledge it. Um, but, but there's you also know what I'm saying like I I feel like the, I like these oh, yeah. duck and cover videos like but they yeah. depict you surviving yes this is clearly yeah, yeah. a parody of that I mean you know I don't know I um no yeah I, I see what you're saying but, but what about the let's let's talk about sort of the relationship then you you mentioned Bumblebee uh, as a sort of a parallel that's an interesting idea but the idea of, of Hogarth and his relationship with um you know the 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 robot the iron giant because i mean this is this is a a story that's been told a hundred times isn't it sort of like it's his et this is you know unfortunately mac and me uh it's bumblebee it's (laughs) it's, but it's that thing like kid finds kid finds thing thing is alien or sort of to you know destructive and then they sort of form a relationship like that's um been played and but like what are your thoughts on this sort of thing of the iron giant I mean, I guess it, I, I am not charmed. Mm. Uh, 
you know, I I think you're exactly right to pinpoint that that any one of these stories depends on E.T. and Elliot's relationship, right? Yeah. Um, Charlie and Bumblebee. And this is such a quintessential, I mean, this movie has become sort of the go-to reference point for that, even more than E.T., um, you know, at least in, in my circles or, or what I read. And so, you know, for me, I found myself very disappointed revisiting this and thinking, um, you know, first of all, you know, I don't buy or care about his situation. None of the characters around him um, do I find convincing or interesting, you know, very much at all. He just seems like a sort of very um, cardboard kind of character. Mm. Um, you know, I don't know why I'm supposed to care about him. I mean, I, I like the Iron Giant saying, I'm not a gun. You know, I mean, I like that. I do think that the, the last 20 minutes, 30 minutes of the movie are pretty solid. Um, yeah. I've got some problems with them, but they're pretty solid. But I, then I, I think, like, why did I watch this for an hour? Right. I know you mean. And just to go back to something you said about the characters, that is something that I find um, I think does stand out. Hogarth, other than having a silly name, but it's the name of the boy in the book, um, is supposed to be sort of an outcast. He's supposed to be sort of like, he's supposed to be slightly bullied. He's supposed to be a bit sort of whatever. But I'm not sure why as a character. like Throughout the film, I'm a little bit like, oh, he gets picked on. But why? Like, he's not nerdy enough to be a nerd or weird enough to be ostracized. Like, it's just sort of like they just seem to have chosen him as to be the outcast. And so there's never a reason as to why um, he seems to be the one. And so it's slightly alluded to that he's into science fiction and like genre stuff, but like, it's never. You know, this is comics, right? To because there's the whole thing with. The Iron Giant wanting to be yeah. Superman. Yeah, exactly. It shows that, but how is that separating him from the other groups of kids? Like, you know, oh, mm -hmm. he's got comics. Well, he's a kid in the 50s. Like, I'm sure that's supposed in to be... The 50s, a, a, yeah. Yeah, so it's supposed to be like a... Th I, I, the, at no point is that... They also sort of suggest he's smarter than the kids, and he goes, well, no, I'm not smarter. I just do the homework. Like, you know, they, they, they I agree that Hogarth needs to be more awkward and... Um, have something that, that that sort of like you know others him to the other kids, even if like you know he's, he's from a single parent family. All right, is that what it is? Like, is it that society has sort of like shunned him and his mum because they are a single parent family? Not really. Mm. Everyone seems to get on with his mum at the diner. Right. So I'm like, okay, so it's right. not that. So I you know, and then you've got this this character that the, the um, dean. Copeland, played by Harry Connick Jr., who runs the sort of, he's an artist sort of like running the scrap metal yard. I'm like, cool. I can see why he's ostracized by this, this, this small town. He's weird. He's beatnik and this other stuff. Mm -hmm. So I now need an, uh, I now need a reason as to why he, he is uh, the, the reason as to why Hogarth is able to make a connection with this iron giant and, Dean, I need that, and I think that's a, that is one of the problems I do have with this film. Is I think Hogarth as a character is kind of flat. He's mm -hmm. fun in a cartoony kind of way. Other, other than that, like there's nothing there for me to say. 
it's almost like they, they didn't want to alienate him from the kids that were going to see the film. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. But you sort of need to, I think, in order to, um, you know, to to be ostracized. It doesn't work. And that's part of the problem, I think. Yeah. As to what this is, this... So I agree with that sort of element of that character. Um, well, and, you know, you brought up the comics, like, you know, there's a lot that sort of places this in the 50s and mm. wants to get credit for that 50s nostalgia. But really, that experience of being a comic nerd and not fitting in, it's really much more an 80s experience, right? Yeah. Um, it's even more 80s than it is 90s mm. when this film came out. So, um, you know, there are ways in which this is not, you know, really, you know, a 1950s depiction. And, in a, you know, like you said, with a single mother um, and other ways in which it's very much of its time. Um, in, in ways that, you know, uh, I don't know that it's in control of. But that's not, for me, a huge objection. But, I mean, I, I know what you're saying. And I agree with it, that the whole Garth is not really... Um, Maybe he has to be generic enough for them to appeal to the average moviegoer, but you know he's too generic. Um, yes. Yeah. The other thing that you know, another thing I want to point out is that I didn't remember that this was a silly comedy, mm. and you know, like this is, you know, what we remember from it is the story of a boy and his robot. Right. Like a boy and his dog. OK, you know, as a boy and his robot, that's what, you know, sticks with us in memory. And that's why it's lauded. And then, you know, I'm watching this and I'm like, how the hell do you capture a squirrel? Like, I love squirrels. Unless a squirrel is rabid, you are, you know, and is sick. You are not capturing a squirrel. Um, yeah. How do you and have if, it in your box? And if it's, and and if it's, and if, yeah, and if it's sick and got rabies. You don't want to catch it, <laughs> so yeah, exactly, and and that's a totally different scene in the dining room, yeah. you know, yeah, and and so it's sneaking up the leg, and and then the guy exposes himself to get the, the you know at least to his underwear to get the squirrel out. None of this works. Nothing. Oh, really? I, I didn't okay. laugh once in oh, this okay. movie. None of it works. I mean, oh, that, okay. I think that's that is just where a, the difference is. That cause... scene is just off. Oh, to me it works. Now I, I hadn't thought mm. about capturing squirrels. Like it was never something I wanted to do as a kid. Well, because as I say, I was, you know, I just don't think you're fast enough. Even like you and I have both had dogs, and I know that a dog will sometimes go like squirrel and run. Those things right. are fast. Like they're up a tree. Yeah, the it's, dog does it, not capture the squirrel. <laughs> no, 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 no. They're, yeah, not those things are fast. Um, and so I get that. So I, that's why I've seen this idea of like kids with frogs or toads because they're a lot slower and and that sort of thing. But that whole thing when it goes up um, Dean's leg and he's not wanting to sort of like, you know, drop Hogarth in it and be like, no, 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 I get you, kid. Mm. Like, you know, I've got your back. But then when he's sort of like, no, no, it's too far. And he stands up. I like, I thought it was funny when he absolutely, but he doesn't just do it. It's not like, you know, Eddie Murphy kind of sort of humor would have been just instant exposure. It's mm. the fact he stands up and apologizes. He's like, I'm really sorry I'm going to do, but like, going to have to do this. Um, I thought, yeah, I chuckled. That, that I'm fine. Really confused and bothered me. I was <laughs> really? really confused and bothered by that <laughs> because he apologizes, and it's clear to me that he, like, what are you apologizing for? Are you apologizing for exposing yourself to your underwear? 
I mean, if the squirrel is clawing you and you're desperate to get this out, you're yeah, not going to have time to apologize. No, no, but, but you, you, what you, he's really you, apologizing you, for is the chaos that's about to ensue as the yeah. squirrel runs around and everything goes crazy. Okay, well, the squirrel's already, you know, like, how do you know that that's about to happen? Well, I, don't think he's, I think he's apologizing for both. He's like, look, I'm about to do something and I'm not sure what's going to happen and I'm sorry, but I've got to do this. Like, you know, I, I took it as that, as like, uh, the, the, that bit kind of works for me where it's like, I've got to do this, uh, and uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an animated comedy film. I'm not yeah. thinking about it clawing away. It's just there's an, a, an uncomfortableness in his trousers because he's got a squirrel in there. <laughs> it's a, it's I'm I'm kind of sort of giving it that. I'm one of the things I would say is, I still take this as like a kids' film. Like I'm coming out and going, oh, the humor is going to be certain. There's certain things in the humor that's going to be. Um, pure aisle or sort of like you know down humor yeah there's going to be those sort of things that we do get and yeah and, and all that and i'm i'm completely fine and part, personally part of it sort of still works for me because i have got that sort of you know immature sort of humor that's fine um but there's even jokes like the uh when he is the, the scrapyard and he's the he's using the the iron giant to you know he's holding like a cadillac like a car he's got the helmet on and the giant just spins around and it's sort of it's too fast, and Hogarth that the helmet comes off, mm. and he's like, you know, coming into land, coming into land. It's sort of it's not like belly laugh kind of funny, but like I'm smiling throughout this sort of thing. I think you know it's quite good fun. Um, in that sense of I'm going like, yeah, this is exactly what I would do. Like if I find out a massive robot, like yeah, I'm, if I'd have been a kid, I'm sort of going, I'd have done. I can see the the appeal of doing these things, like. He's not thinking like, oh, I can do these great big things. He's like, cool, I've got myself a walking fairground ride. Yeah, see, I, I like that idea. Mm. I don't think it's well done. Mm. I think that, you know, first of all, there should be the scene where he's like, you know, you could milk that a little and set it up better where he's talking to the Iron Giant and he's like, you know, see, I've got a different idea. What I want you to do is, you know, and then you sort of cut and he's being spun around. As it is, I find myself just thinking, like, how many G's are you pushing? You're going to black out. You know, like, I mean, I find myself thinking about all that stuff that I'm not supposed to think about. Exactly. Okay, that's what I'm saying. So you're sort of going through, yeah, you're sort of stuck thinking in the practicalities of it. The squirrel's clawing his leg, right? Like, you know, he's he's holding it. I mean, he's he's in pain. You see him in pain and holding Mm. it. I mean, you know. You see him, you know, the kid being spun around in the in the car. And, you know, it goes on and on. And I'm just thinking, you know, he loses like his helmet or or you know, and I'm thinking, right, you're you have now blacked out. Um, you know, this is not I mean, you know, I'm worried is the iron giant gonna drop you and fling you because he's not really together yet, you know? I mean, I don't know. I, I, I just, I'm not charmed and I don't kind of buy, and I don't hate this movie, but I mean, I mm. don't buy the tone. The tone doesn't quite sit with me. It never feels like it knows, the, you know, the tone that it's going for. Okay. I see what you're saying. I can see what you're saying because I think sometimes the humor is slightly misplaced um, and timed is interesting. Like, you know, again, it sort of goes for things. And I wonder if because we've had a lot of things since, does it, play differently because again that we you know when he is um you know the character i'll make two points the character of kent manley um is the sort of the fbi agent or whatever that comes mm. into town and stuff and again 
Um, I love the the voice actor that um, does it. I'm I'm a fan of. I think I've seen him. Uh, Christopher McDonald. Um, I've seen him in a number of mm. things, and he's he's a great character actor and stuff. And I kind of like him in this, but there's that thing of sort of um, he 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 lurch, lurches at sometimes into too much into sort of like manic sort of behaviour. Um, you know, he's he's it's sort of um, he's a G man. He's supposed to have it together, be cool, calm, and collected. That idea of the sort of the you know the Jager Hoover idea of the sort of professional lawman, that sort of thing. But then he lurches into sort of conspiracy theory and um, crazy a little too quickly um, mm. at times, and I, so I do find that a bit a bit sort of like grating. Um, you know, it should take more to push him over the edge to sort of to believe that there's a giant robot. Um, it, it, but he leans into it and becomes like you know becomes the crazy one a little too quickly. Um, I like the fact he's a coward yeah. and it, all the other stuff like with him later on. I think he sort of works <laughs> as he, and I like it when he moves in, becomes the lodger and he's sort of like stalking um, Hogarth and stuff. Like I find all that kind of funny. Mm. That, that sort of all sort of works for me, but it sort of parts this film. I mean, this film's what, how long is it? Uh, an hour and a half. Yeah. One hour 26. And so if it's some, but so there are sections there's character development that sort of is rushed at the beginning of the film so they can get to other parts down the line. And I do think like, you know, I'm not saying I want it longer because it's, I don't mind a film being an hour and a half, but like, I don't know, just sort of move some things slightly around or something. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I felt this was a lot longer than it needed to be. And I, and I watched the director's cut, which has oh, about okay. two minutes of additional footage, mm. including uh, one of the sequences that I like the most, which is a dream sequence in which the Iron Giant dreams and his dreams are broadcast on the telly uh, of the um, junkyard. Mm. Uh, and so you see his origin. Yeah, I've never uh, seen this. I've not seen this at all. I know, I knew of them, but I've never seen them. Well, apparently this was storyboarded for the original and then mm. um, abandoned for, for cost reasons. Uh, but it's very much Terminator, right? Like he's clearly from an apocalyptic future and has been transported back in time. We don't know how, right? So he, is, so, he, so he is from the future. He's not from space. Yeah, well, mm. maybe he's from some space planet where this happened. That's very human, right? But right. I mean, uh, he, there are a bunch of iron giants, and they're all clearly, you know, war machines. You know, and it's very Terminator-like footage, right? Yeah. So it could be the future. It could be an alien planet. That's interesting um, to say that because yeah, because in the book, it's very much from outer space. Um, mm. It isn't. It is an alien uh, Iron Man. However, what's weird is if you, uh, I, I was looking for connections with other things. And so I listened to, and I was listening to, and, and listened to the lyrics of Black Sabbath's um, Iron Man. Mm -hmm. And I was listening to that and thinking, like, because I, I love that song. And again, it's one of those where sort of like I know everyone wants it for, you know, it was, oh, it should have been used for um, Iron Man in, in the MCU and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. You need to listen to the lyrics of that song. It's not a good song. <laughs> like it's not a positive song. So I went back and I listened to it, really listened to it, and read the lyrics. And that is about a man who is sent to the future and comes and eventually comes back to the future, and in doing so, is turned to iron. 
and when he tries to sort of like uh, tell people about the, the awfulness of the future and what we could do to to prevent it, he uh, is is ignored and cast aside and all sort of stuff. And so he takes revenge on the people and becomes the catalyst for that terrible future. Mm. Um, and so when you're saying about this thing coming from the future and stuff, I'm like, oh wow, this is closer to if that's a, this is closer to the uh, the Black Sabbath song than the the original. Um, well, book. I, I do think he's supposed to be an alien because you mm. start with it crashing, you know, off Maine and everything, and this this weird sequence that with the ship that you know, mm. you know, it's barely referenced later. I mean, it's not important. Um, I mean, I think this movie's got problems. Um, but, I mean, I do think he's supposed to be an alien. But the the imagery is all of... I mean, it seems straight out of Terminator to me. Right. Um, oh. And and it's 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 cool. I, mean, I like the idea of he's dreaming and it somehow takes over the television broadcast. I mean, it doesn't really make sense, but it's interesting. Um, and, you know, the, uh, the beatnik is kind of staring at the, the TV, kind of wondering what he's seeing, and then doesn't really do anything because um, mm. it can't affect the film. Yeah, because it's original to the film. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, that's the thing, and it comes up, doesn't it? This this idea of of um, his origin is obviously remains mysterious, mm. um, but he has a purpose um, because, like I say, when when Hogarth jumps out and he's got those that that gun that. I used to love those. You'd pull the trigger, some it spin around, it crackle and sort of cause an effect and all that sort of stuff. Um, and the, the you know it, the the Iron Giant sort of goes into the, it. Made me think of of Johnny Five from Short Circuit. You know the sort of the eyes. We have to do like an eighties block someday. And, yeah, because and, and, <laughs> that's not going to come up in any other context. No, um, and yeah, so you know, then he fires his, his eye beams and stuff, and then and you sort of see that he is built to be. At first, you think it's just the eye beams, and then later on, you you realize it's a full on like the, the he is built for what he is a war machine. Like mm-hmm. he is a gun, uh, a big big weapon. But there's this idea of sort of choosing what you do, like, you know, how you define yourself and stuff. And I like all that stuff at the end. Um, yeah, I like that stuff at the end too. Um, but I mean, let's be. You know, I mean, first of all, he totally transforms into a war machine, you know, mm. in the climactic sequence. I mean, he does not look the same. I don't know where these parts come from. That's fine. Whatever. Um, but again, to go back to this issue of tone for me. And and again, I don't hate this movie. I mean, this is not a bad movie. I love the style. I love animation. Mm. You know, it's clearly kind of um, hearkening back to, you know, like the, the 50 style and Fleischer and um you know it, it it reminds me at times uh very much of kyle baker's work you know who's an amazing mm. artist um and a cool guy uh from my experience but um you know i really dig the look and feel of this i love the ideas of it but you know the tone bugs me and even in that sequence like he is attempting to kill Hogarth. He mm. has attempted. He attempts to blast him twice. Um, the beatnik is right to, you know, be protective. Oh right? yeah, 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 yeah. I um, agree. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just, you know, it seems a little serious for 
a movie with uh, a squirrel in a box, you know, that's running, you know, gobbledygoo is running around the cafe, you know. I I don't know. I think the thing is, it's it's. I mean, this is a this is the thing with. Um, I'm, I was just having a look. We went through a period around this time, which I want to get into, of sci-fi animation, and this film sort of is is one of the things that sort of kicked it off. Um, but that thing of tone is it's a balance, isn't it? They're looking to gain a balance between the the, the comedy that sort of like you know a boy in his robot comedy, which as you sort of alluded to, is sort of like, you know, been done a number of times and they want to have this sort of like message that, you know, about, uh, they're trying to get a lot of things in there. Obviously it's set in the fifties because of the cold war, this idea of sort of um, how we, you know, choose to um, engage with new things that we find aliens or whatever, but then also sort of how you manage to deal with yourself or, you know, just because you are built to be something doesn't mean you have to be that thing. Mm-hmm. And so I get all that. There's a, it's trying to level those messages. And I think, like you say, sometimes it's sort of, it's, it, you can easily break this film into sections and go, Oh, that's the, the fun montage. You know, that's got the, the, the uh, sky wheeling, um, Oh, it's got the scene with them jumping into the lake. It's got this, it's got that. Like, that's the fun section. That section ends when he sort of, like, you know, they get shot at uh, the, the, um, the Iron Giant shoots at Hogarth. And then we start getting to the sort of the more serious thing of, like, oh, we're going to, we're going to shift. And as you say, not only does it shift story point, it shifts tone as well. And sort of that sort of, um, part of the problem. I think, like, you're right. I, I can see what you're saying. It, I think to me it blends easier. Like I'm taken, I'm, I'm taken along with it enough that um, it's that thing. However, one film that I, th- I I ran this that ran parallel to this in my head was a Disney film that came out in 2002, and that's Lilo and Stitch, uh, which is a film I adore. I absolutely love that film. But where the Iron Giant has got a mysterious beginning and all sort of stuff, you know, and, and ends up being. Uh, you have this relationship with Hogarth, and you say it's not how sure to balance the 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 comedy. Lilo and Stitch knows that it's a comedy film, like it knows what it's does. I mean, Stitch is you know is a is a creature, biological creature designed to destroy things. That's his entire purpose, and then it becomes about family. And it becomes a bit schmaltzy, but like throughout, it's got that wacky comedy. And one of the, this is one of the things I think Disney's mm. always been able to do is balance that schmaltz with comedy to then get heart. Like it creates an element of heart. Now, Lilo and Stitch isn't their most successful film, but I do think it's a fantastic film. And that is more successful in having this thing. So when it comes to the end, in a similar way of you have these skills for destruction, but you need to use them for good works better for me in Lilo and Stitch than it does in Iron Giant. Now, Iron Giant I like because of of the sacrifice that's made at the end, but I do feel that Lilo and Stitch blends it in a better way mm. than than this film. I didn't think I was going to make well, that comparison on the podcast, but there you go. No, that's that's fair. And, um, you know, I you know I hear good things. I, I have not seen the film. Um, I saw it's the set in Hawaii, parody, so I it, figure yeah. it's the same, you know. Um, no, I know, I know, right? I, mean, like I should, right? Um, I live in Hawaii and adore Hawaii to a ridiculous degree. Mm. Um, but um, 
which you know you feel the same way about Britain. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm teasing. Yeah. I, I just realized how you know I have not mostly lived in Hawaii my entire yeah. life, and it's rare to live in a place you really do love. Mm. Um, but you know, I mean, I think about the Bumblebee movies, mm. and you know, I think that it does a better job for me of selling the. Uh, relationship between the main character and the alien robot, right? Mm. Um, you know, and, and and I mean, there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, I, you know, curiously, I have more attachment to like the Iron Giant as depicted in uh, Ready Player One than I do in the actual Iron Giant movie. Mm. You know, um, I mean, it's almost like the Iron Giant works better in nostalgia. Um, but I will say this this key theme of like you don't ha- I'm not a gun I think works really well I mean for me that's the standout part of the Iron Giant and and I will say you know whereas for you that works better in Lilo and Stitch for me that works better here than it does in Bumblebee mm. where I think Bumblebee sells the relationship better but um, I'm bothered by the goal that you want to get to is secretly I'm a badass alien warrior and I'm going to embrace that. Right. Well, that kind of undermines you know, yeah. the whole thing um, here. It's much more consistent. Um, I don't know how this AI works that you, you know, in this alien, you know, these alien war machines you've built that are just like, Hey, I never met a kid before. You know, now that I met a kid, you know, war is really bad, isn't it? Um, well, is, is all it, I needed was a kid to tell me, guns kill. Yeah, well, I, I, do you know what? If now, now you're saying it, you've <laughs> just said that. Like, you know, where does this come from? Because we mentioned about E.T. and, e, you know, and, and the relationship with Elliot. But E.T. is not, um, a, a, no, an intergalactic killing machine. In fact, he's the exact opposite. Like, he is designed exactly. to heal. <laughs> Like he is a, he's he's a, a pouching a... little alien who can barely move. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's but he's designed to heal, like that his finger yeah, heals. Like right. he is a healing being. And like, you know, then you have like Mac and Me, which is just a um a, a pile of play-doh that is just a terrible film. But this idea of a boy and his dog, a boy and his daily, a boy and his robot, the film that sort of you've just said then about, you know, what makes them change. Terminator two. Um mm. Mm-hmm. This idea of sort of like the John Connor having that conversation with the T T T eight hundred, where he's like, "You can't go around killing people." He's like, "Why not?" And he's like, "You just can't." You know, it's that thing of saying like, "You know, look," you, and he injures, and they get to the thing, and he injures the guy. And he's like, "He'll live," but there is that thing of like the the they express it in uh, Terminator Two, and again, we actually or off air we were talking about James Cameron and, and his films. But this idea of the, like, the acknowledge that he's a learning computer, like the Terminator is a learning computer. It has to blend in with society. And this time it's been designed, it's been programmed to follow the lead of John Connor. And so, but that has a payoff. Like there's a, there's, you know, it's sacrifice. Not only did it sacrifice itself at the end, the sacrifice of the T-800 may be actually more impactful to me than the, um, I ain't gonna lie, like when that you know when he loads him, he gets Sarah Connor low into the molten metal. Yeah, it gets me every time. But more than that, when he's at Cyberdyne and he kicks out the window and he's got the the minigun and he's shooting at all the police and he's like ensuring that there is zero casualties. Mm. Like that film has a consistent message of 
But yeah, you don't have to kill people like just because you're a weapon. Like that's the point. And then so it ca- carries forward to Bumblebee and 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 the Iron Giant and even Lilo and Stitch. And I'm going like, yeah, uh, it, this, there is this notion, but you need to have you you need for them to feel lethal to begin with and what Mm. i'm sort of thinking is when you look at like terminator 2 you've had the terminator but you also have the beginning the Mm -hmm. fear of sarah connor all that sort of thing bumblebee you have the opening scene on cyber uh, cybertron Mm -hmm. that shows bumblebee being a badass and all this other stuff well then you land on earth and bumblebee the reason why he's messed up is because he's had this really vicious fight on a mountain exactly yeah so you've seen him in combat and then the same with lilo and stitch like you see stitch do all this stuff in space as to why he escapes and why he's such a menace. So when he comes to Earth, you've got that thing of uh, the kid playing with this thing is is a is a problem. Like you're like, right? The kid playing right. with this thing is is not a good idea. And then it sort of it gives it a level of humanity in inverted commas. But you don't get that with the Iron Giant. You just sort of like, cool, it's a big play thing, and then you get the lethality. Then really, I suppose you should have that. You should almost be, as a viewer, you should be Kent Manley going like, mm-hmm. "No, this thing is mm-hmm. dangerous. Like, we do not no, want I to agree. complain with this." And and I kind of feel that a little bit from the beginning. I mean, you know, with with a kid playing with the electricity, I'm like, I'm worried for him, right? Mm. I mean, I um, there was a brilliant episode of the uh, Marvel Transformers comic that took me years to really fully appreciate. I think it was issue 13 in which um, Megatron has been basically defeated, but this is the G1 Megatron who turns into a handgun. Okay. The size of a regular handgun. And this guy who's kind of, you know, just kind of down on his locks, sort of like emasculated kind of, you know, I I think he's a comic, um, finds this gun and this gun basically like can never miss. And the gun mm-hmm. doesn't know that he's Megatron and the gun, you know, he uses this to like become a gangster and kind of live out his fantasies. But this whole time, you're very much aware, like, oh, you are playing with Megatron. Like, this <laughs> yeah. is not, you are in danger. Like, I, you know, and, and especially for the fifties, like there, there is a, and, and, you know, I know we do this. I don't want to be that guy, but I mean, there is a version of this movie in which we're aware of that danger mm. from the beginning. And that ties into like fifties childhoods. I mean, you know, you and I played on the street as kids, you know, mm. we were not supervised all the time, but this kid is really not supervised. And it could play into that where you're like, okay, the fifties weren't all great. This is dangerous. Um, you know, here, here he is befriending in the woods. And I mean, I went through the woods unsupervised. I got into literally nearly died several times um you know it was all in a day's fun yeah um but i mean i could see that working much better but like you said i mean you know thinking about the terminator films and i part of what i love about um uh terminator genesis and and you know which they try to do a version of a dark fate is the terminator as somebody who's given up on killing mm. right who can resume it but who's given up on that and i th- i know that works less for you than it does for me but i love that stuff i mean so i really like this key idea it just feels like it's not 
sold to me in quite the right way. And maybe you're right that it needs that sequence. I need to be scared for that kid. I need to. Well, it's 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 almost if you're to expand upon this, like you need this is that thing of it's almost like the action movie cliche. You know, you you know, in order for you to feel, um, it gives you that baseline. In order for you to feel a threat to the the hero, right, as as a badass or whatever, you need to see them being a badass. Right? You need to see them doing the thing they do, so that when they are taken out by the enemy, you go, oh well, they're a badass, but they're an even bigger badass. Like they're all of a sudden the hero's an underdog, and that's crazy. And that's where you get films like at the start of, you know, Clint, Dirty Harry does this routine, you know, routinely. Like the start of the film is him taking out bad guys and, you know, sort of like, do you feel lucky, punk? So you know who he is. And then it's up, him up against this. The villain is the same thing you have with all these other things. You you need to know, you need to get the parameters of what is the, what is, this thing is pretty early on so that you know where you are as the viewer to go, that's the situation, that's the relationship, and that's the journey that this relationship's going on. But because I think the robot has an element of amnesia, you know, you're supposed to be like shocked by this thing, as to go, oh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a war machine. Like it's but they go, yeah. Still, even if it wasn't a war machine, it's still a fifty foot robot that could do some pretty mm. heavy damage. But you need to be sort of establishing. Something so I do agree. There's like a section missing from the start of this film. Whatever that dream sequence is, you almost need it beforehand. You mm. need the origin to be able to establish that Hogarth playing with this thing is not a good idea. Um, yeah, I mean, I do think that would add a dynamic. Um, mm. I mean, I do understand the urge to kind of have it be a revelation, like, oh shit, that is a war machine, and they certainly want that revelation, especially in the way that he transforms. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and I see that transformation and I'm like, I don't know where these parts were, uh, you know, mm -hmm. underneath your chest. Like, you know, there's, there's oh, I'm cool with that machinery there. I'm cool with that. Having like been, having grown up with transformers, gen one and stuff. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm fine with that. It's cool. It's an animation thing. Yeah. I mean, I'm okay with it. I just, um, I don't know. I mean, it, it does seem sort of sudden, um, you know, and I, I don't know. It just seems like, you know, for me, nothing, nothing falls flat, but nothing quite works either mm. for me in this film. Um, you know, even early on with the, um, you know, the government guy and his car being eaten, mm. that's a sense of threat, right? Like, haha. But you see the Iron Giant like five feet away from him and he doesn't see him, you know, and it's like that's supposed to be funny. It's supposed to be. That's I mean, the one thing. No, I know what you're saying. Because you one thing... No, is that and I said, that is one... no, that's one of the ones that does sort of fall flat because there's also because he has his cars been bitten into like he's been partly eaten fine. But so was like you see that Dean is buying a tractor mm -hmm. at some point for scrap metal, and he's like, "Look, I'd give you more, but you know, it's got a bite mark in it." Like, there doesn't seem to be any mystery in the town that's going like, <laughs> "We had this massive electrical outage. I've now got like half my tractors missing." Like, you know, it feels like there's people just seem to be accepting stuff a little bit too easily. We're going, "Well, that's weird. I'll sell it for scrap." Like. 
there should be other people around the town going like, these things keep happening. What is going on? It shouldn't just be Kent Manley sort of like being the the kook that, um, mm. you know. Well, well, not only that, I mean, I, I watched that scene and I had the same thought and I was like, well, you're calling it a bite, right? Mm. Like, and it doesn't show teeth. It's not like a, you know, you see like, a, oh no, there's a Tyrannosaurus Rex loose in, you know, LA and you see like, oh, there's <laughs> teeth marks, right? Like you don't see robotic teeth marks. You know, I thought, oh, okay, maybe bite means there's a chunk missing. Yeah, but if you, you work up in the later morning, scenes yeah, where there's if... stuff that's like, you know, there's a grain silo and there's yeah. a missing bite out of the top of a grain silo. And you see, no, 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 clearly this is something that's happening all over town. Exactly. They all know yeah. there are bites out of things. Yeah. Um, what I say is, yeah, I agree with that. There should be more. Because, again, this whole thing plays out. And, again, you know, they're playing it for time. We see that Dean is slightly ostracized from the town and they introduce the military and stuff. And I think they have a, they, they have a missed opportunity. Here. And again, it's quite kind of cliche, but when it comes to um, the end of the film, and I think it's like Hogarth is falling from something. And um, I forget, there's like basically the Iron Giant saves somebody in town. And all the people come out and they're like, oh my God, he saved them. Ah, oh, and they're, they're all accepting like really quickly. Like, there's no one going, oh, that explains all the cars that have been bitten. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still really uncomfortable. Like, they need someone, and you know, because Kent Manley, the, the, G, the G man, is still the one going, like, no, it needs to be destroyed. No, it needs to be destroyed. Because that's the point at which the military turn back and start firing on it. You need people in the town. And this is again, like you know, this is sort of you've seen it in storytelling, like you know, everything from like Beauty and the Beast through to whatever else. You need more people going like, and usually it's the older conservative sort of contingent of the population going like, "What the hell is going on? We don't know where this thing has come from. I don't trust it. It could be Russian. It could be this. It could be that." Like they should be siding with the army and mm-hmm. saying, "Save our town." But none of that seems to happen well, either. Like the town just seems to sign thing, right? Exactly. Of, of yes. The town with pitchforks going like, "Oh, you're terrible, terrible," and then the kid is the one who's siding, you know. And again, then it becomes like a red scare metaphor, right? Like the kid is siding with the underdog, mm. you know, with the alien um, against the the popular pressure, right? Then it's got a whole different dynamic. Yeah, I think that's the thing. It needs that dynamic for you to feel a, a more against, more towards, or whatever the 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 robot. Because at the end of the film, like one of the things I was kind of weirded out with the military turn up and start firing at it, and the people scatter. But everyone seems sort of more you know concerned about that. And obviously, when it turns into the robot or turns into the war machine, is obviously that. But like the townsfolk are really sort of just background. Mm-hmm literal background characters like they do not there is no um real interaction with the rest of the story and i definitely feel like you need that to give them a voice to be like this thing's in like in our town now like what is it um and i think that's not kind of missing for that final confrontation where hogarth is like say is defending the robot well, going back to the Red Scare, right? Like, you know, they should be scared of the commies, right? Mm. Like, you know, I mean, if, if anything, um, 
you know, you, you should have a townsperson playing that role instead of the, the government agent, uh, you know, I mean, who has seen enough to know, like, he says, I don't know what it is, but we can't take the risk. Mm. And then he's, you know, obviously, uh, you know, uh, very gung ho. But there should be a townsperson who says, you know, nah, I mean, you know, we don't want some commie, you know, robot in our town, right? Uh, this is a danger. Um, but I mean, to me, this is a side effect of all of the characters seem, you know, sort of two-dimensional mm. um i mean to me that beatnik you know the beatnik is kind of you know i i don't really care about him i don't know why he's sculpting these these you know like i know i'm supposed to identify with him as the countercultural outsider but and that's my thing right i should <laughs> but um he's not really i mean he's not really a victim of the town he seems to be totally embraced by the town there's no 50s you know, conformity going on here. And, um, you know, he is not sure if he wants to run a business selling junk, which we never see him make any money from, <laughs> or be a sculptor of metal of these weird designs. You know, and he talks about being an artist, which is kind of cool, but like, I don't understand how this really works. Um, and it seems to me that if they were just a little braver, they could have had um the mother be discriminated against because she's a single mother and you know people you know maybe those kids say you know it doesn't have to be like rorschach the origin but they could say <laughs> you know hey whore son uh you know hey well, where's just, your daddy exactly that's what i say like yeah where's, then, your, where's your father that sort of thing that should be the, the yeah, iron giant could be a surrogate father right you know um a bit like the T eight hundred for John Connor. Like it's That's it's, right. Yeah, know. like I'm in the woods and, and here's the, and there's things that I can teach him and we can, you know, hey, look at my comic books. That's such a classic scene, right? Mm. But instead it's like with the person suffering with amnesia, there's no emotional resonance. And you're right, I mean T two has more of that. Yeah. And I think that's the thing, is sort of like I you know I it's always told in shorthand. And I think the thing is, one of the things I find that this film isn't brave enough to do that I think maybe a Disney film or some other animation would have been, is to completely have those levels of ostracization where you have got like the beatnik is completely outside of town and considered to be the kook and no one really talks to him apart from maybe like one or two farmers or something that sort of, you know, they deal with him because they can get parts off him or whatever. Mm. Um, and the same for the mom, like it, it never feels like because again, it has a, an awful, there's an awful sort of like a, a tag on scene at the end of this, where it suggests that the mom and the beatnik have got together, and I'm just like, yeah, they never feel like they should be together, like they don't feel like a couple in the slightest, um, which is weird. And so, there's, you know, and obviously, like, at the end of it, like the group has now accepted Hogarth and he's sort of roughhousing with them. And I'm just like, hang on, like, you know, this is, it's all too easy, that end bit. Mm. Um, and so that's again where it feels like the characters are a little inconsistent. Um, Don't you think but, that that's part and parcel of, of the movie in general, though, right? Like I, you were I, pointing out that, that they don't treat the beatnik poorly they don't beat the no I, the yeah i agree poorly. yeah i agree and that sort of thing i think is missing where i think it's an opportunity missed where i think other animation houses would have done that 
would have probably um, gone to that point. And what's weird is just to sort of look at the history of you know, this period of animation. Like, it's not like there were others that didn't do this. Like, if you go back to some of the Don Bluth films, like if you look mm. at like, um, and this is this is um, an American Tale with Five or the Bloody Mouse. That thing's yeah. all about like the immigrant story and has all kinds Absolutely. of and all kinds of like people uh, characters being treated awfully because of their race and all this other stuff like that really goes. Oh, and so, you know, we've had like Watership Down and the, the the Secret of Nim. Like the stories that have gone really dark and done things. This film doesn't want to tap into that darker element of some of these sci-fi stories. It's not darker, it's just more of a sort of political or a social statement. Doesn't really want to do that. And I think it's 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 lesser because of it. Um and so yeah, I agree with that. What however, you said this is this is that thing of saying um you know, you've seen it in small chunks, and so the 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 mm. whole is less than the sum of its parts. For me, though, it's the exact opposite in the sense of like I'm nitpicking and I'm picking at these parts. Mm. However, when I put it all together as a as an Iron Giant, like it it, it works. I get carried along. Uh, I sort of like I have a level of investment in it that I'm enjoying it as an animation. Um, I like the design elements throughout. I think mm. the Iron Giant looks great. I love the fact they sort of stripped it back to this sort of this fifties design of sort of very sort of like bare bones. However, when he becomes the War Machine, the things that come at his back in particular, there's like two snake-like things that are very reminiscent cool, of kind of yeah. yeah, that are very reminiscent of War of the Worlds. Um, and these mm-hmm. are the elements that I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm digging all this to say like, oh, this is this has got stuff I'm loving. So it's all sort of coming together as a as a whole rather than the smaller pieces. Yeah, I mean that's fascinating. And you know, the thing, one of the things that I find most surprising in my life is every time that I have an impression. I second guess it, right? And I think like, you know, well, maybe if I had watched this at the time, maybe if I, my first impression of this movie, we're watching it all the way through, right? I would have a different idea of Mm. it. Every time I'm able to test this, you know, like, I mean, I watch a movie on cable and little pieces or, you know, on the internet and little pieces. And I think this is confusing. This must be my fault. I mean, every time I'm able to test this, it's never the case, right? Mm. So my i mean i don't hate this movie i mean i think it's i think it's a fine movie um i don't i don't think it's bad by any means but it does not wow me it doesn't have that movie magic that it does for you Mm. and i'm perplexed by why that is the case i do wonder if this is one of those films as you say that like if you come at it at a certain time you know, like I was, I saw this in the cinema. Like I remember seeing this. I was seven, ninety nine or seventeen. So it's like I wasn't like a kid, but like I remember seeing this in the cinema. Going, hey, I want to see that. That seems kind of cool. And going to see it, and enjoying it enough that it's become part of that sort of that period. But like I say, I think when I was, if I was to look at, if I was to go on like IMDb or like say Rotten Tomatoes or or Letterbox, whatever. And you were to look at the age of some of the people that have reviewed this. Mm. I can imagine that they were probably in their, I don't know, eight to fifteen, maybe eight to eight to twelve age range when this came out. Mm. That, that really hit the sweet spot of this. Now has been a formative film, in the same way that sort of like you know, there are animation films like you know 
we said about we were really sort of like you know gave a lot of praise to Transformers eighty six, mm. and I think it deserves a lot of it. But I think if you were to sort of be, if there was a generation <laughs> older than us that came into it, well, I watched that when I was in my twenties, and I think it's a pile of crap. Like mm-hmm. I think there is that sweet spot of where 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 these things hit, um, and I think that does part, form part of it. I think this sort of film leans into the nostalgia of the fifties, which I think appeals to certain Americana. But then I thought I think it also hit. I mean, don't forget this film wasn't a big success. Like this, this has found mm-hmm. its feet since. Um, and so I think all oh, the criticism is criticism is fair. I think it's more a case of this film just found its feet as a as a cult film that people have sort of like you know, latched onto. Um, but you're right. I think there's just elements of it that for me that work that sort of like they they work or don't work in other films. Like it's not this film is not original. I, I, I'll concede that. Like it's not like going, mm. oh, this is wowing me because all the concepts are new. Oh no, it's loaded with it's loaded with cliches. Um, um, it just I don't know for some reason it just seems to work. It sort of melds quite well for me. Not not the this isn't the best animated film. Um, but yeah, I do th- I do think it sort of works well. Well, I mean, there's a lot that I like here. I like the animation style. I mean, I yeah. like the basic story. It's it's a touchstone for the boy and his robot kind of genre, right? Which mm. is a, a story, you know, an archetype that I adore, frankly. Um, you know, I will say that, you know, maybe I'm, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I... I am bothered by his design. Um, mm. You know, the, and and the thing that bothers me is the connection of the legs to the torso. Okay. And I know this is this is so weird, but like I work with toys, right? So like yeah. to me, it's like, especially in the fifties, you would you know for a blocky robot, you want something that doesn't have a uh, you know a connector piece um, jutting out from a kind of crotch area, you know, horizontally to connect with the legs. Mm. And there's a big one because, you know, the first thing I think of is like, that is a breakage point. Uh, That's where the toy is going to break. Yeah. Uh, You know, and so I I see that and I'm like, I love the design except that. Um, Okay. But obviously, I mean, that's such like, you know, insider baseball kind of nonsense. Um, no, but you make but a, I mean, you make you make a good point because if you're the military and you're looking at this thing walking towards you, someone's got to go shoot at that midsection. <laughs> that seems like a weak point. <laughs> well, this is true. I mean, also, like, I mean, you do see the military. You know, their tactics are very strange, um, and you do see military people dying, and they're you know just firing at it, and the shells are bouncing off, and mm. you know, sort of destroying things. And I'm wondering, like. Yeah, when we saw people like bailing out of helicopters with parachutes in GI Joe, we knew that was a lie, right? Like that guy's dead. This is a con. Did people watch this and know that was a lie? Like, were they outraged by it the way I was as a kid by GI Joe? Or I don't think so. I don't think it's one of those sort of things. It just doesn't come up. (laughs) So yeah, no one sort of questions it. Well, the thing oh, about age is, is is a key thing, and and I, you know, I mean, I was a little older, but I was charmed by like, I my brother and I saw Nightmare Before Christmas a million times, mm. and anything's you know, I see flaws in it all over the place, but you know, I mean, I don't have a tattoo, uh, but I, you know, I love that movie. 
you know, I, I talked to Gabriel, the closest thing I have to a son, you know, sort of foster son who said, I really am angry that you don't like the Iron Giant because I grew up with that, even though he was younger. Mm. And, you know, to him, that was something that he identified with as an outsider um, growing up in Hawaii. And yeah. I can see Maybe that. I mean, generation. it's one of those. I think it's a generational thing. So I do think, like you say, it's where you come across it. Like I saw it in the cinema, but like I've seen it on TV. This thing I can imagine being on reruns repeatedly. So yeah, I can see why it could touch a generation much in the same way. To me, I also I loved Goonies when I was a kid, right? And I would say Goonies is a, is is a, is a is a great film. However, I know people both younger than me and older than me that think it's a pile of crap really dislike it but that film was a massive pop culture sort of um staple in the 80s and it hit me just spot on you know it's an 80s sort of like you know kids adventure film it's got pirates it's got sort of hidden treasure blah 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 like it's under the you know this thing's under your feet it all it's all there and i can see why it hits a um like a, a zeitgeist with certain kids um but I go back and I've watched it as an adult and I've gone like, yeah, there's all kinds of problems with this film. Like this film has got massive problems, but I still watch it and go, I don't care. I still love it. Like I still love data doing all this stuff. Like I can see why it becomes a thing. So when the people sort of start pointing out those flaws, you're like, no, screw you. This film's amazing. <laughs> um, so I, I understand that sort of point. Um, but yeah, there, there is something else I want to sort of touch on about this, which is interesting, which is, um, sci-fi in animation hmm. and we've obviously covered uh akira um before we've met you know and, and um there was other sort of like this period there's a lot of like japanese anime you've got ghost in the shell um and other things are sort of like it's, it works over there like you, you know you can go and do deeper themes and it's all like adult animation stuff hmm. what's interesting around this period is um we had this, this was 1999, and it seems to trigger sort of like a sci-fi animation mini unsuccessful boom because after this, you have Titan AE done by uh, Universal. Um, you then get Tre Atlantis, The Lost Empire by Disney. You get Treasure Planet. You get uh, Lilo mm. and Stitch. Um and uh, there was another one I was thinking of, I can't remember now, but like, there's this sort of like couple of years where all of a sudden they're like, oh, animation and sci-fi, and they all sort of fall under the radar. Like not one of them really yeah. sort of landed. And I find it's interesting that like, is it because they're, they're bad films? I haven't gone back. I really like Lilo and Stitch, but like I've heard of the people going like, Atlantis is really good. The Lost Empire is really good. I've watched that recently. Not bad. I haven't watched Treasure Planet. But like, I don't know. It's interesting. I really rewatched that. Yeah, it's interesting how they tried. I mean, Titan AE was two thousand. Atlantis was two thousand and one. Treasure Planet two thousand. Atlantis, The Lost Empire, Disney yeah. film. Yeah, okay. yeah. Never saw that. I mean, they're interesting. They're worth seeing. But it's interesting how there's this sort of mini boom of mm -hmm. sci-fi animation that just sort of dies a death after like three years. Um, yeah, and. But now we seem to be coming through a generation, that generation that did go that sort of 20 years later, those people that did watch those are now coming into the industry and that sort of thing. And I am <laughs> hearing more and more and more people saying, oh, no, I loved 
Atlantis, the Lost Empire, and Treasure Planet, and mm. so it, they're a missed classic. And so I, I can't move in certain shops now for for images of Stitch. Like I literally went into a shop mm. in in mm-hmm. in town the other week with, and there was all Stitch goods. And it wasn't a Disney store; it was just a store. And there's like a so it's interesting how like we say about nostalgia. Like you said, that the Iron Giant appeared in uh, Ready Player One. Um. Mm. These this film, this sort of late late nineties, early two thousands, is now becoming a nostalgia period that I think is beginning to have that come through. Those kids that would enjoyed it then are coming through now, and it may not have been a success then, but I do think that those films are going to have an influence in in the near future. Well, I mean, while you've been talking, I've looked all the stuff up on Wikipedia, and mm. and you know. Um, what is fascinating to me is that I was the biggest sci-fi nerd and I never watched any of those movies. <laughs> never, never watched them. was very dimly aware of them, mm. you know, and, and to the extent that I was, I thought that they were probably for kids or, you know, silly or, or what have you, um, you know, and I just could not fathom who was watching this. Um, and, and I wonder if that was true of the Iron Giant too. Mm. Um, I don't know. Um, you know, maybe I was just aged out already uh, of this whole thing. But I uh, mean, we obviously we need to go back and, and watch all of these. Yeah. Well, I'm just looking at Titan AE, which is one I think we should do because Titan AE is an interesting one as to whether or not it's any good or not. But it's you know it's it's a it's a sort of a transition between 2D and um, CG animation. Mm. But your cast, it's like you've got Matt Damon, Drew Barrymore, Bill Pullman, um, uh, Nathan Lane, um, mm. John Leguizamo. Like, these aren't, they're not massive names, but like when some of the other ones are. But like, yeah, it really was going for it um, at the time. And so I do, um, I, I, I'm curious to see sort of like, you know, if they do start to have um, that impact on more modern pop culture. Look, I'd like to go back and I think we should do a couple of them, I think in future seasons. Um, just see how we feel about them. And let's say, had we aged out of them at that time? Well, you know, I mean, I, I don't think I was consciously aware that Treasure Planet existed until I saw mm. design work a year or two ago of it. And I thought, what am I looking at? This looks amazing. How do I not know about this? <laughs> and, you know, and then I, I looked at it and you know, I, I, I haven't watched it, but um, the design work is staggering. Mm. And Lilo and Stitch, I mean, you know, I, I see plushes of them everywhere. I see, you know, um, but this is this whole like weird sort of like memory hold aspect of science fiction and science fiction animation that, um, you know, is sort of primed for a comeback. But, um, you know, it's interesting that the Iron Giant kind of has survived that uh, and is beloved. And and Leo and Stitch, too, because I think it's it's too cutesy not to yeah. know, get that Disney memory. But Treasure Planet, nobody knows that exists, right? I mean, well, it's Disney, but nobody, nobody knows no. outside of like a $300 figurine or something. Yeah, it, it's one of those interesting ones that, like you say, why does... Why does... You mentioned toys, right? Mm. I would say the Iron Giant is the uh, the. I can't say the bloody word now. It's the starting point. Right? It kicked off this thing. 
I mean, again, don't forget, ninety nine is one of those years. is is an odd year, whatnot. It's just, it's a it's a seminal year in cinema. Like you've got a lot of big films that year. Um, you know, Fight Club, Matrix, um, whole bunch of sort of big films. But also more than that, anyone that's seen it, and although you've said Iron Giant as a toy concept, you've got like a breaking point. Like I've seen Iron Giant toys, like, and I remember them from when when I was a kid, mm. those early two thousands. Like you could buy. The Iron Giant, they weren't massive, but I remember like a McDonald's tie-in and all kinds of things. Like this had toy-based legs, where even now, like that Iron Giant image is mm. toyetic. Like you can do something mm-hmm. with it, and the same. Yeah, with that's Stitch. what it means something. Yeah, right. um, and then so the right. same with, with Stitch. Like yeah, I, I, we have two Stitch plushies in this house, right? That my my daughter has right, and I one of them was mine that she had, and, she, <laughs> and then one of them was like a sleeping stitch that she loves. She uses it as a pillow. So that that thing has become. I love you so much, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not. I don't even. I couldn't even recognize them out of a lineup, but I, I identify with this so much. <laughs> but we, the, you know, so that again, there's that that the the reason that Lilo and Stitch. The reason also Lilo and Stitch was during a peak when Elvis was making a bit of a sort of a resurgence and the whole soundtrack is based around Elvis music. It's, it mentions like Blue Hawaii and all this other stuff. So mm. it fits into that. It's got that sort of legs and that legacy because of those elements. There is nothing, well, there would be if you really wanted to, but there's nothing plushy or nothing sort of toyetic really within Treasure Planet and Atlantis and even Titan AE. They are out and out sci-fi stories. Mm-hmm. And so I think what happened was like you get to a point where you're like, yeah, we can't really make toys of this. You can't really make. Um, there's nothing really to follow on from. Like you could have computer games and stuff, but that's this is obviously these came out in a period when you're moving from uh, Mega Drives to PlayStation. Games are changing. Mm-hmm. They fell through the cracks because they had nothing to grab onto. Um, I have a weird feeling as well. I'm just going to check it now. See if I can find it. Titan AE had a soundtrack, and I've got a feeling like it was like Nickelback or someone else like that that mm. did some music for it. A big it. deal at the time. Yeah, know? and I remember that. I remember certain songs being um, being on the radio yeah, quite mean... a lot and stuff. But other than that, like there was the, the songs probably had more legs than the film, and so I do find that there's this. Um, yeah, they had like eleven tracks by various contemporary rock bands. Yeah, you know, yeah, all of which were kind of like. Of the moment, like are not remembered well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You you're not going to find them on a sort of like an you know. Now that's what I call album. Like you know. Now that's what I call yeah. forgotten sci-fi films. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I was reading an interesting thing about like um, you know this period from sort of like the mid two thousands to the early twenty tens um, of sort of popular music that just has all disappeared. Mm. never referenced you know never in tv shows never include and it's all stuff that i'm like i have no idea what you're talking about (laughs) Um, and you know people who grew up there are just like you know in that era i mean if you were a teenager in 2005 or 2008 you had these you know these uh mp3s right Mm. um and you know these these stories talk about that and yet nobody outside of that era knows that exists and here is this weird kind of like it was a little uh younger than my age 
um, this kind of like sci-fi animated block that, you know, has been sort of memory hold. Mm. And I find this fascinating, you know, this weird way in which we like to think that everything is a, is a goddamn meritocracy, right? And, you know, stuff that survives, survives because it's better, right? Mm. It's not always true. Mm. Um, you know, some of it's better. I mean, there's some truth to that, right? But there's also, you know, like maybe um, the Iliad and the Odyssey, like those those other Greek uh, epics that were like part of the Trojan cycle, maybe they were like fucking amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and they just got forgotten. And what we have is like, oh, oh yeah, you got the Odyssey? Yeah. Oh man, that's mm. a great. Yeah, it was all right. We like the Odyssey, but you really should read so and so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I think there's an element of that that, like, again, I think it's about, especially with Disney, and I've, I've just checked Disney Plus, Titan AE, and all the others are on there. They're all on because it was 20th Century Fox was Titan AE. So they obviously now own it. Mm-hmm. Um, is that thing of like what what gives these things legs? What makes them sort of stand out uh, of the time of the moment? And I think when you look at those sort of the animation films that stand out, like again, like what makes give some legs? I remember as a kid watching um, Land Before Time, um, Watership mm-hmm. Down, um, Secret of Nim, uh, American Tale. Those films from the eighties. Like and that's not just Disney. Like you know, we're, don't forget Disney was on its ass in the in the eighties. These are all very much sort of like Don Bluth and other and other animation studios. For the most part, they were the ones I was brought up on as a, as a little kid. But there's nothing there like now, though, because those animation studios don't exist anymore. Like you try and find American Tale on a streaming service now, like you know, I wonder if it's not there. to mention American Tale Two: Five of Goes West. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is an underappreciated, you know, gem. But I don't remember that much. Mm-hmm. But I remember this. You know, I don't know who owns them. But like those, those films are. I don't want them to be lost to history because I do think that you know they they do something. In some cases, stand up better mm-hmm. than some of the dreck that's come out of Disney. Well, and it's funny how like you know somewhere out there, you know that song, which you know I mean still tugs at my heartstrings. Everybody knows that. But mm. nobody's mm. watched the movie. Right? Yeah. Like it's weird. These kind of scenes become iconic. And yeah. You know. And it's funny because, it, like you say, um, for example, I would say um, Watership Down mm. is, is mm-hmm. one of those examples where I recently saw a, uh, a thing online that said Watership Down should not be shown to kids. And I was yeah. like, really? It's a, it's a film that it. it, it <laughs> It horrified me as a child. Like it's a full on this, you know, gave me not possibly gave me nightmares, but like I still appreciated it and, and enjoyed it as a film, like because it was that thing. But there were, you know, you got some real sort of horror elements in that. Like it, you know, it's got the uh, general yeah. wound war, and you've got the black, black uh, the black, black rabbit of inlay. I remember all this stuff. Like it's in my head. Like you know. Mm-hmm. um Hazel going through having a seizure and seeing the fields covered in blood, like all mm. that stuff, like is iconic to me. But they're going, oh no, kids can't see that now. You know, I'm not saying, and I'm not saying, I'm, I'm not trying to be about that. But what I'm saying is, we talked about the blandness of some of the characters in Iron Giant, mm. and they're being, mm. oh, they don't want to ostracize Dean too much or the mother too much. And I'm going like, well. Is that is it playing it too safe then with some of these characters? Because we've had films that have done 
much, much more that have gone before, and I would say are iconic, mm-hmm. but have also been slightly lost to history. Um, I don't know. It just well, feels, you know, it's not like it hasn't been done. I mean, to me, it plays it too safe, but mm. I'm coming at it with newer eyes, right? Mm. I mean, you know, the flip side is maybe the reason why it is iconic and it is remembered and these others aren't is because it did play it safe. Mm. And, you know, isn't, I mean, you know, this isn't a Disney film, but isn't that the Disney strategy, right? Mm. Um, you know, there's a reason why, you know, Disney is, you know, so has such a high success rate and everything feels so sort of test marketed, um, you know, well, you know, it, it tends to be remembered pretty well. I mean, those, those animated features notwithstanding, um, I mean, there's a reason why every, you know, silly, you know, Disney film has had a, uh, you know, live action remake in the last five years. Um, you know, I yeah. mean, and I see their work in the Marvel stuff, uh, sort of. So, so maybe the reason why this is remembered is because it's sort of extra safe. And you know, Watership Down. I mean, look, you know, I mean, I was, I was, you know, a kid watching Silence of the Lambs and and you know Ken Russell movies and, and stuff like that. I mean, um, mm. I think, but, you know, yeah. The, what I don't understand about that, especially today, is. Um, and, and this this is a key point for me is that is that when we ever we talk about uh, kids and what's appropriate for children, always remember that whatever the hell you and I saw is nothing compared to what every kid today sees. No, it's true. And I because they have this wonderful thing called the internet, and I remember, um, you know, I remember uh, many many years ago, too many to to recollect without embarrassment um you know seeing my girlfriend's um nieces and nephews who are younger than her mm. and they were on the internet and i sort of clearly interrupted them and we're talking like eight to twelve and i clearly interrupted them on a cell phone and they were like oh shit you know my my older you know sister you know whatever you know boyfriend is here and they were all gathered around two girls, one cup. Okay. <laughs> Eight to 12. Yeah. And that was the moment where I realized, all right, I need to let go of any of my Puritan yeah. you know, feelings yeah. about childhood. <laughs> right. Like, right. Oh, that makes sense. They have the internet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All I that know. is gone. Child, child, childhood lost. Innocence lost, as it were. Yeah. I think you're right. I think it's, it's, it's it's, it's, they do have the access to specific things, and that's, and maybe you're right. Maybe that's the thing is that you know sometimes I think because there there is a, um, you know that generation, that those people that were kids that eight to twelve age when the Iron Giant came out and stuff, and they, they do, they they did see Treasure Planet and all those other films. They're probably the first, the, the last sort of uh, part of a generation to be have these sorts of films fed to them you know and and in through a mechanism that they didn't have free control over you know in that late 90s early 2000s you know it's still it was still dvds you didn't have blu-rays yet but like, there was no in, internet was not that you were still kicking about on a bloody modem <laughs> in your house 
Um, broadband wasn't really a thing. I don't know when broadband came in, but I don't remember it being that much of a thing then. And you definitely didn't have streaming and, and YouTube and stuff. So, yeah, you may be right. There's a difference between, like, I could show a kid now. I'm, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't show well, different kinds of kids because I think, you know, Ellie doesn't, she has YouTube and stuff, but doesn't have access to those kind of things. At least I'm aware of. But I think you're right. There's groups of kids <laughs> that I could show, like, worship down to and go, like, this traumatized me as a child. And they'd be like, really? I've seen actual footage of rabbits being tested on, like, you know, this is disgusting. And you're going, like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's a different childhood experience. Like, you are slightly apart from my life experience. You, you're probably right. Um, but then that makes me wonder how do genre uh kids films you know why do they how do they land is that why you know um something like wednesday or stranger things mm. which is darker and has an edge is actually more popular with younger kids today than than it would have been i mean if you know one of those came out and they were marks as a 12 or a 15 and you could you ought to watch it earlier but it wouldn't have been it would have been more uh, you know secret oh i got to watch I got mm. to watch Stranger Things, not sort of like a five-year-old walking to school with a Stranger Things bag on his back or something like you know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I think that's part of it, and I think, like, say, I enjoy it. Maybe sort of forms that a, a break in that thing of of innocence as, of being a kid, and you know, that's sort of the idea of a a boy in his robot. Well, it, it definitely has that, and I, and I think that's charming, especially mm. from his animation style. Mm. Um, but again, you know, I think that even even older movies are kind of less innocent in their depictions, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, the depiction of the military is interesting. Um, you know, the military is kind of like oddly redeemed by showing that the main character is a warmonger, right? Who's ready to nuke a civilian area without thought and then to flee. Okay, well, I mean, how do you put that up against like Doctor Strangelove, mm. right? It's like you know, this is actually a very pro-military version compared to that, right? I mean, this is this guy is an outlier. How does how does he exist within that establishment? How has nobody spotted this sooner? I mean, he's not even a consistent, as you pointed out, I think, you know, yeah. character from start to finish, right? No. Um, the, the military of internationally, there's two things for the military, because you are 100% right. The general sort of like is, he's not the warmonger. Like you're expecting the general is usually the one that's like, kill it, kill it with fire kind of thing. <laughs> um, but he's not in this. But the, the, there's two parts of that, like that make me, that I, I the, again, it's a kid's film, so I'm not, I'm not so bothered by it. It's a nitpick. After everything that happens, and they've got like a warship off the coast uh, that's just fine. I assume it's supposed to be a nuke, right? And I'm going to get to that in a mm-hmm. second. And then the, the the Iron Giant shoots up, destroys it, and it's blasted. All the general says is, let's go home. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You've just shot up a small town. You have a warship off the coast. You have got to bring in somebody to debrief these people. Like you need to have a base here for at least a couple of weeks to try and calm the situation down. You don't just roll out like there's shells and stuff everywhere. Like no, 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 no. Like this, <laughs> this is not how it's done. Um, and the second point is, even if the Iron Giant did prevent, in fact, if anything, the Iron Giant made things worse. 
right? Mm-hmm. Hear me out. If that's a new, if that is a nuclear weapon that he has decimated, mm-hmm. instead of it hitting the town and covering off a pair of, you know, you'd have got a Hiroshima Nagasaki situation. He detonates it in the atmosphere. You've now You're got right. radiation raining down over a much larger area. Yeah, an area the size of Europe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They've just taken yeah. out North America. Yeah, I mean, presumably not with that. I mean, it depends the the kilotons of the explosion. No, still. Um, but I mean, yeah, no, I mean, there is, I, I had the same thought, right? Like, I mean, this is, yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is sort of from an era in which you could depict that. You know, certainly in the 80s, right? You could have like a nuclear explosion in the atmosphere and it was like, oh, good. It didn't hit anyone. (laughs) So naive, right? Like, no, the planet's fucked anyway, right? Um, I enjoy it. I enjoy it too. Yeah, I enjoy it too. They come back and like, you know, Hogarth's no no longer got any hair, suffering from radiation Mm. sickness. Um, The town's town's decimated. Colon, the fallout. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The Iron Giant has reassembled himself at the end, and he's just distributing water for the whole movie. Just tending to a sick Hogarth who's dying of cancer. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a little morbid, even for me. Uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah, I, you know, it's 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 like you say, it's a nitpick, and it's like you say, they can get away with it in a in this kind of film. Mm. I think the, the 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 point is there. Um. But yeah, no, I think the, the the point is overall. Overall, uh, you know, I think I would go back and watch this film and I enjoy it. I think it's a worthy, um, if anything, like it opens up a channel for me to go, huh, there are more mm. animated sci-fi films I think I should go back and look at. And I do think I am going to go back and watch like, you know, Treasure Planet, Titan A.E. and some of the others and um, see if they do sort of like, you know, not so much stand up, but do they are they good for the time or are they do they have anything to offer? Maybe we should sort of you know watch them at some of the point in the future. It'd be interesting. Well, I, I like that idea. Uh the only difference is I'm not gonna go back and watch them. I want you to force me to go back and watch yeah. them so that we can record a podcast about each season, and every one se- of them. Season five, season five, Titan AE. I think that would be the because that's the one that's <laughs> interests me. Uh we shall see. We shall see. Right, and anyway, we are sort of coming to to the end for that one. So, any final thoughts or anything else on the Iron Giant of nineteen ninety nine? I mean, I feel like I've been really mean, uh, you know, or <laughs> tough, right? Yeah. I mean, I still like this. I still think it's it's. I think it's fine. I, I think it's you know somewhere between fine and good, mm. right? Um, I, I don't think it's bad. I don't, you know, it doesn't it doesn't offend me. It just never quite clicks the way I want it to. Um, but that doesn't mean that I don't, I also respect its place in history. I respect how influential it's been. Yeah. Um, you know, it is a touchstone and it's a touchstone for a reason. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm glad to be forced to watch it all the way through. And I look forward to being forced to watch those, you know, this other batch of animation all the way through <laughs> what about you no it, it does still have that place of i sort of like i enjoy it i think it's off i said i like it for many reasons i think they say the animation stands out i miss movie quality 2d animation um 
Um, I think there is something there, sort of like, you know, there's some parts of the film work better than others. I agree. I think the sort of the, the film could do with being 10 minutes longer and just adding in some of the things we talked about, just to give you a bit of an idea of, of things. Um, and I do think it plays it a little safe. But as a, as a kid's film, like, I think it works. I enjoy it. I think, you know, the sentiment is, is the intent of, you know, the whole Superman thing, um, you know, you know, I'm not a gun. Um, is works well. Uh, I think it works and it's great. I love the design. I think you know, um, one of the things that's interesting is this idea of the sentience of uh, the Iron Giant. That you know, they talk about having a soul. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's what well, you, you know, this idea from Hogarth. It's sort of like, well, you think and you feel, and so that gives you a soul and. You know, that means you're not just you you have a choice. Like, you know, you are a being, you're not just a machine. And and again, that's a, that's an interesting point there of sort of like what it is. It's never it's not explored in much more than that one small scene, which is, you know, I think because then it becomes this idea of a lot more simple of like I am not a gun, which I think they try and make it a bit more straightforward. But yeah, they do have this idea of like he's not just an eye he's the iron giant. They don't refer to they refer to him as a robot in the film. A, a few times, but like, you know, it, it's this idea of well, what makes him sentient? Like, is he? Does he have a choice? Like, he clearly has a um, a response as a sort of like a, an in, you know, he sees the he sees Hogarth with the gun, or he gets fired upon by the military, and they they keep using the word it triggers something. Like it's triggered. Like he has, you know, like a someone with an anger management problem. Like you've triggered him. Um, he ha- he's triggered to have a response, yet he also is able to make choices uh, and chooses not to pull the final trigger, if you will, like to do the final, you know, to kill everybody off, as is clearly his purpose. Um, and so I, I like that that actually they, they introduce this idea that yeah, he is, he is, he, you know, you don't see it. He hasn't got a brain. I don't know where he is but he has something more and he actually learns to talk more. Like, again, we've talked about this idea of sort of learning, you know, he starts to talk a bit more and you have, you know, the, the thespian skills of Vin Diesel providing the, um, the voice, um, you know, clearly reaching the reach, the, the edges of his, <laughs> of his acting mm-hmm. talent as a voice actor. Um, so, no, I think it's got lots of things in it that I think work really well. And I like and touch on things. I just think it, I see why this failed. I can see in its element why this didn't hit a zeitgeist at the time, but acts as almost like a cult nostalgia film for those that did see it. Um, so, yeah, that that's sort of where I am with it. Sort of like if it works for me, I'll watch it again. I would definitely watch it again. I, I wonder um, if I can real quickly make mm. a point, like. How effective is the Iron Giant at killing? Um, because it seems to me he is totally trying to kill the kid. He blasts him twice, uh, you know, and then he is in full military mode, like clearly has an arsenal capable of decimating that town and is totally not in himself, right? He's mm-hmm. like hypnotized until, you know, the kid comes to him and says, You're not a gun. And, you know, you see his eyes change. Uh, the Iron Giant's eyes change. Um, is he just a really bad war machine? 
yeah, he, kind of he's, a... he's like he's, he's like stormtrooper level bad. Uh, you know, like he <laughs> he misses routinely. I don't know because what that, that is interesting because he marches through the town, doesn't he? And like you see him march after the after the military with all his guns out. Like his arms are now guns. He's got those sort of like tentacle guns over his shoulders, and he is firing. But when you see the town at that point, uh, you know the animation, the the backdrop of the town, like there's no damage. <laughs> it's not like half of Main Street is now in rubble, and um, you know, poor thousands Mrs. are dead. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. all that 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 the Jones family that lived above the local shop have been like decimated and stuff. Like, yeah, again, this is that thing about playing it safe, isn't it? They don't want to show that the rampage of this robot has done serious damage and i wonder if it's about making it redeemable mm. i was thinking i've thought about this with, with this thing about I'm, I'm writing something at the moment about well i'm getting to my moon night i'm finally getting sort of like i've finished off my moon night essay but this idea of how superheroes are sort of like they they have to keep them on the, the right side of redeemable like you can always push a character so far but you need to keep them redeemable and you can get away with more with certain characters like wolverine or whatever um, but you need to keep a character redeemable. And like I say, if the Iron Giant <laughs> has literally come up and proved Kurt Manley's point that he is dangerous and will kill people by showing this sort of swath of destruction behind him, like then, it, it, yeah, he's no longer redeemable and Hogarth is wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, or or he's programmed to do something terrible. But Hogarth is has seen, you know, a soul somewhere inside there. I mean, you know, or at least some sort of. I mean, I don't, I don't know the soul stuff. You know, I, I don't know what to think about that. But you know, has seen something inside there, right? That is redeemable, but is trapped in his programming, right? Mm. I mean, I think we're all trapped in our programming. Um, yeah, but you have you... see that, but that's more interesting that's more challenging right it is I mean, exactly yeah but this isn't this isn't a challenging film is it? as you've said they're trying to play mm-hmm. it safe that would be more interesting if you were trying to have this thing redeemed as yes he's destroyed half the town and killed hundreds of people <laughs> but he didn't destroy the warship and he saved us from a nuclear weapon right you know, could they build a statue of him? Don't forget, like they in the the town center at the end of the film, they have a bronze statue of, of the the Iron Giant. Like he didn't do something. So again, maybe again, it could just be simple choices about how he only chooses to fire on determined military targets. This is what I mean. Like you know, if you want to show this thing's a war machine, yeah. If it's a if it's a, it's an all out destruction machine, fine. But is it more nuanced than that? And, and you know, you could easily have a scene where it chooses not to shoot on mm. some innocent people, unarmed people, mm-hmm. you know, or in the it, way, or yeah. in the way, and steps over them, or just decides not to mm-hmm. kill them, and steps on and, and, and continues to fire at the military. Like have that, like something in there, just to show. Oh, actually, the military brought this upon themselves because of weapon. You know, violence begets violence, but innocents get in the way, sort of thing. Well, and it comes close to that. Right, mm. you know that they sort of trigger him, but right, you, you know there isn't that he he seems either in a trance or recovered from the trance in which he's like entirely peaceful. There's nothing in between, which is no. like I'm capable of making discriminations. I'm going to step over these civilians and hit those guys. 
Um, and, and that seems to, you know, make it more convenient at the same time. Less. Yeah. Um, well, I'm glad that they made a statue. I'm way less less bothered <laughs> by the, uh, you know, the couple being together, the, you know, at the end that I am, like, the town going like, oh, we, we made a statue for you. Yeah. You're a hero. Yeah. That irritates me for some reason. Yeah. Well, because of that reason, I mean, you know, just just as a, as a final thought put on that, when we watched Godzilla, uh, the 1954 Godzilla, one of the scenes that both you and I pointed out and resonated with us is that the woman protecting her children in the street as like Tokyo burns around her and stuff. And it is insinuated that she's killed. Like it's, it's suggested sort of like rubble either falls on her or she's burnt alive. Like, and you go, Oh, Godzilla is, is just killing everything in its path. Like, you know, Godzilla is, is a, is a monster and it's to be to stopped. You, you almost want to, if you're, if you're going to have a rampaging mechanical kaiju kind of situation you need something similar that says what is the again this is that thing about what are the parameters that this thing is working under if it's godzilla level where it is just destroying everything in its path then yeah you've got a problem you need a similar situation of of you know a woman protecting her children and it chooses not to do that to show that actually there's something there this is a war machine not a not a killing machine sort of thing I don't know. It's, it would make it would give you a bit more of a definition as to to what the the threat level is and why he is redeemable, and that Kurt Manley was wrong in saying, you know, him firing upon it and him him doing everything is actually the the one you know being the one that first pulls the trigger. You're the wrong person. You've got to ask the question, find out more, kind of thing. But it doesn't give you that to say we should think about that. Mm. Yeah, well, you know, he was right, and uh, you know, <laughs> I, if the Iron Giant were alive, I'd, I'd want to, you know, cut his head off and put it in my den. On the well, wall. according to the end of the film, he is still alive, and he's in to be found in in a snowy um, wasteland somewhere. So we'll see. Even that irritates me. Um, no, I mean, I, I'm kidding. You know, it's, it's, I'm trying to be an ass, but you know. I like the fact that uh, the kids, the kid, because Kogoth says, "I'll see you soon," and it's like, "No, you won't," because there's going to be no sequel to this film. Like it did, you know? <laughs> right? There's not the Iron Giant goes west. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. Anyway, so there. Any of the final thoughts with regards to uh, the Iron Giant? No, I mean, I, I, it's good enough that I wish, I wish I liked it better. Mm. Uh, I want to like it better. And I apologize to the listeners for not liking it better. <laughs> we're going to get letters, is, as they were saying. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I do enjoy this film. It is probably going to be in, in uh, my rotation. It's probably one I will go back and see at some point again. Um, I do enjoy it a lot. I like everything. There's some good stuff about it. I do think, it, it, like I say, it's not as iconic as I think, but I think there are people younger than us that it sort of hit them at the right time. That I think it, it it hits that nostalgia button, and for the right reasons, I think it works on that front. Anyway, there we are. We have talked about a boy and his robot, and in the next episode, we're going to be talking about some kids again. We're still keeping with the kiddie theme, but this is going to be um, some children and their island mm. of death. That's right. We're going to be talking uh, Battle Royale, um, the two thousand. Now, see, this is this is a movie that I chose. And this is a movie that is up Julian's alley, 
that does not pull his punches. And you could say it's stupid, you could say it's violent, but you know, there's no argument that this is a, a half-baked version of itself. Oh no, yeah, we will talk about uh, <laughs> some of the film, some of the bits in the film. Um, I'm not even going to try and spoil now because, yeah, no. it's a, it's a fascinating film. Battle yes, Royale. Back in the next film is Battle Royale. Yes, not the Hunger Games, not your sanitized, you you, you know, mm. uh, young adult version. We're going all out, um, and we'll be talking about it on the next episode. But for now, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, if you like what we do, go and leave a review on your podcast catcher. We uh, appreciate all feedback, and we do check our reviews. And also, if you like what you're doing even more, go and check out our Patreon. We're doing all kinds of things over there. If you like the Twilight Zone, trekking through the Twilight Zone, which has been now on the main feed, we're going through the first season on the main feed, we've got a full, well, pretty much we're almost at the end of the third season now, going out on the uh, Patreon. We've got almost three full seasons of us going through the original 1960s Twilight Zone, and there will be more. You've also got me giving my 30-minute thoughts, which is just me chatting about subjects chosen by the patrons. There's a whole bunch of other stuff on there as well, so go check it out. And actually, before even this, Julian and I were talking about other things we're going to be adding to the Patreon, some other bonus content related to the films that we're going to be covering on the main feed. So go check that out. There'll be a link down below. We appreciate all support. Yeah, I love Scott's 30-minute thoughts. I learned so much from listening to them, and, you know, you will too. And we are, you know, you've got countless hours, you know, on the Patreon. Mm. So, and we really appreciate it. You know, it's amazing how much, you know, your uh, five pounds, your five quid uh, a month uh, means to us, knowing that, um, you know, you're helping to keep the lights on, but also um, it's a big moral uh, support. It is. It keeps us doing what we're doing, and there'll be more stuff to come anyway. So, but hey, Julian, thank you very much uh, for talking uh, Iron Giant, and ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for your support, and we shall see you on the next episode. 